I'm Cassidy Hall. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Carl McCollman, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence. To learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Joining us today on Encountering Silence, from the New Forest of England, is the award-winning author, teacher, and spiritual guide, David Cole. David's books include The Mystic Path of Meditation, Beginning a Christ-Centered Journey, Celtic Prayers and Practices, An Inner Journey, and 40 Days with the Celtic Saints, Devotional Readings for a Time of Preparation. His two most recent books include Celtic Advent, 40 Days of Devotions to Christmas, and Celtic Lent, 40 Days of Devotion to Easter. David is the founder of Waymark Ministries, which creates opportunities for people to engage with the wisdom teachings of Christ and Christianity for our time, with a particular emphasis on Celtic spirituality and Christian mysticism. He is also the deputy guardian for the community of Aden and Hilda, a dispersed ecumenical Christian intentional community, which draws its inspiration from the lives of the Celtic saints. With a retreat center on the Holy Isle of Lindisfarne, the Open Gate, the community offers hospitality to its members and other visitors with an annual program of led retreats, as well as private group and individual bookings. David, Welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you. Lovely to be with you. So I, I just want to begin with a, with a personal note. David and I have known each other online for a number of years now. And last summer when, when Fran, my wife, and I were in the UK, we spent a lovely day in Oxford with David. He took us to the Eagle and Child, also known as the Bird and the Baby. And we sat, uh, I think, right next to the table where the Inklings uh, used to meet and and uh, lifted a pint in honor of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and folks like that. And then uh, over lunch, uh, we told David that we had just visited the grave of Evelyn Underhill the day before when we were in London. And so David got a twinkle in his eye and he said, well, would you like to visit the graves of Tolkien and Lewis? And we said, sure. So we piled into David's car and spent the afternoon just tootling around greater Oxford and and visiting these graves of these authors that we admire so much. And we also got to see C.S. Lewis's parish church. It was just a lovely afternoon, and we really enjoyed spending that time with you, David. But of course, this isn't the point behind this conversation. What what we would like to do is talk a little bit about your 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 books and your ministry, but of course, beginning with your relationship with silence. Would you be willing to reflect with us about how silence has been a part of your journey. Yeah, that would be great. I think that uh, in our current state in our world, there is a lot of noise, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of 
verbal interaction in one way or another uh, and not a great deal of the silence that we're talking about that uh, all four of us love so much and so it's been a real passion of mine for well over a decade now to try and intentionally engage in that silence uh, to to be able to deepen my own self uh, as well as being able to engage more with other people uh, in a sense of silence uh, having communal silence collective silence if that be in a group where you're organizing a meditation as a you know a weekly gathering or something where it's just to sit with one or two friends the ability to be in silence together is is amazing uh healing and uh, just such a deepening thing to be able to do so yeah david one thing i i noticed about your your work is that the a lot of rhythm in it you know you have a uh, now th- i guess three books that that reflect on 40 days right so i'm yeah. wondering if rhythm the rhythm of silence plays a role in your daily life and your regular spiritual practice yes it does yeah so the the, the three different books that reflect that that rhythm the three 40 day devotional books they they reflect the three periods of 40 days in the year that we understand the the ancient celtic monastic centers kept so uh we have the 40 days still in our own calendar uh, to, that leads up to easter we have the, the what we call lent but then they had in the celtic monastic uh, tradition they also held what they called the lesser lent which is the celtic advent so Celtic Advent starts on uh, November the 15th, the evening of November 15th, uh, which is 40 days, including Sundays up until Christmas. Uh, and then they also had a period of 40 days which followed the uh, the Sunday of Pentecost. And so these three books kind of reflect that that uh, rhythm throughout the year. So three, three periods of 40 days, uh, 120 days, that's like a third of the year for, for the Celts was kept for that contemplative uh, silence and, and uh, fasting. Um, and so, yeah, so my, my books reflect that. And also the the, uh, the new monastic community I belong to, the community of Aidan and Hilda, part of the, the rule we have, part of the way of life that we live by is to have those periods of uh, deliberate, intentional uh, stopping in the day. Uh, so keeping the hours of prayer, we, have, we keep four of them. So we do morning, midday, evening, and night prayer. Uh, and uh, so we, we keep that rhythm uh, and balance. And I think that's really the, the, the key to it. Balance is, is really key to the whole thing. I was at um, uh, uh, one of the UK Bible colleges um, last week, um, and they do a, a degree in church leadership. Uh, and they, they asked me to come in each year and do a, a day of lectures on um, the importance of self-care for the leader through the use of contemplative practice. Uh, and one of the periods of, of that day is I, I pull out a few uh, sections of the rule of Benedict uh, that relate to balance and how he really feels that the balance is a key to being able to, to maintain that sense of work and uh, prayer and silence and, uh, and stillness and things like that. So, yeah, yeah the rhythm uh, and the balance is, is uh, kind of built into who I am now. You know, one thing I want to mention is the beauty of the the rhythm and the balance, um, basically that that structured silence, right? But also the unstructured. You mentioned as we were just getting on and, and chatting, you mentioned walking in the forest with your dog and contemplating our conversation today. And I think that 
that unstructured silence is also so important to feed into our ability to be creative, but also the structured time is, as well. Would you would you mind sharing just a little bit about unstructured silence in your life? Yeah, I think just in the same way that through the, the rhythms of prayer, the hours of prayer, uh, that doesn't stop you being able to have spontaneous moments of prayer with God. Similarly, it, it, it doesn't stop you having those times of silence. And I, to have intentional silence when you just have a time to do that, have a moment to do that, I think is a, a really important practice to have too. Um, so the, the, the punctuation through the day of, of the, the, the hours of prayer, the times of silence uh, are really good. But actually to, to, to have uh, the random uh, selection of intentional silence through the day. And of course, intentional silence is, is different to just finding yourself not saying anything. Uh, there's, a, mm -hmm. there's a focus behind that. There's that intention that you're deliberately being with God in that moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, those, uh, having the forest to walk through and, and just in my home even as well, just moments where you yeah. stop intentionally to be with God. We're all big pet fans. Do you mind sharing your dog's name? Uh, my dog is called Luna. She is uh, an 11-month-old border collie. Oh, so so back to but I want to shift back to what we were talking about before about rhythm, structured, unstructured. You've described the influence here of kind of Benedict's rule and the rhythm and the structure. And you've talked about the Celtic kind of influence. And I'm kind of curious, when did the Celtic influence come into play for you? How did how did you come to know about that rhythm and that approach to prayer and living a, a holier life? I'm trying to think of a, a short version of a very long answer. It came as a, as, as a few things happened consecutively over a fairly short period of time. So my, my initial encounter uh, with Christ and where I would say my own Christ-centered spiritual journey uh, began um, about 25 years ago when I was kind of 19 turning 20, uh, I had a, um, a mystical encounter with the cosmic Christ and using terminology that I now understand. I didn't term it like that then. But because of that, my own Christian, my Christ-centered spirituality was very different to, to most of the other people that I encountered in churches. Um, and through various different uh, things that, that uh, led me to uh, about working for about 10 years as a youth worker, just resonate with what was coming out of the churches uh, and, and, and other things. So it didn't really ever um, connect spiritually with, with Christianity. And there were times when actually just the, the knowledge in my own self of that, that mystical encounter was the only thing that really that kept me on a, a Christian spiritual path. And then, like I said, there's a few things that happen fairly consecutively, fairly close together. Someone uh, in just a, a youth event that I was a part of used a canticle from the Celtic Daily Prayer book from the Northumbria community. And then uh, I received a birthday card from my sister with a picture on the front of Christ from the Book of Kells. So the page of Christ in the Book of Kells. Uh, in it, and it, it, I suddenly realized that there was a, a Christian aspect 
of some spirituality that I had encountered previously before I was really a Christian in my teens that uh, I might resonate with because I had previously kind of resonated a little with the, the, the pagan and, and new age side of, of Celtic uh, spirituality. So I, I started to then just try and look for, for something, knowing that I already resonated in my own spirit and heart with, with Celtic spirituality, uh, to see whether Christian side, there wasn't a lot of it around 20 years ago, uh, not like there is now. You can go into Christian bookshops, certainly over here in the UK, uh, and they have whole Celtic sections now with uh, books and CDs and trinkets and jewellery. Uh, Twenty odd years ago, it it, uh, it wasn't really around. Very uh, dubiously looked upon in most uh, mainstream Christian bookshops. Uh, but I did find uh, one one book tucked away at the top shelf in the back corner of a, a bookshop uh, by uh, an author called Ray Simpson, who's uh, subsequently become very good friends. Uh, I've become very good friends with him, um, and that was the first time I'd ever read or heard anything from a Christian perspective that really resonated with me. So it was really the, the, the heart of, of Celtic Christianity uh, was really the first thing that, that, that caught my own heart and attention uh, in a Christian, on my, on my Christian path. So then, then I just, uh, just continued to, to look into it, to read up on it, to listen to people speak on it, to, to study it myself. And uh, that journey led through to, to becoming or meeting and, and encountering the, the Aiden and Hilda community and becoming a part of that. Um, so it's really it, it, a little bit by accident, really, which is uh, a good chunk of my path in, in life. You know, just uh, coincidences one after the other happening. So, yeah, so and, and, that, and that's really been a, 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 one of the biggest influences uh, on my on my spiritual path. Uh, and then that led me into um, discovering the contemplative side uh, of uh, Christianity. So uh, through the, the Celtic saints um, and the hours of prayer, they would spend just being with God up in the mountains and uh, neck deep in the new in the uh, uh, the, the ocean or rivers and, and lakes and things just to be with God, uh, and that, that really caught my attention as well. So, David, I, I'm not familiar with the community of Aiden and Hilda, and I imagine you know there may be others listening to this podcast who, who aren't as well. Could you tell us a little bit about the community and about its, its mission and its ministry? Yeah, so uh, next year, 2019, we will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of uh, the founding of the, the community. Uh, so, we have a few bits going on. We, we, we're running a summer school week in, in Durham with some, some great speakers and, and musicians and things and other things we're doing next year to celebrate that. But really, its, it's, uh, it's beginnings was an outworking in, in a, a spiritual context of something that was going on inside a number of people. Uh, this idea of what's become known as new monasticism. Uh, and again, last week I was also at a, uh, a conference, a new monastic conference um, in London. Uh, one of the days was in uh, Lambeth Palace and Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, was there talking about the importance of uh, new monasticism and, and this, this idea of, of having a way of life. And I think that, that years ago, uh, the founders, the few founders, Ray Simpson being one of them, I've already mentioned him, they felt that, that this concept of intentional community and living by a way of life was something that was 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 helpful and beneficial to the lay person just kind of living out in normal life uh, living it out in your own home your own community your own job your own local church 
Uh, and so that's really where the new monastic movement comes in. And, and so these guys uh, started, and some, some girls as well, of course, uh, started this dispersed community. So we're completely dispersed. We don't have uh, a base, really. We don't have a mother house. We have our retreat center, as you mentioned, Carl, uh, which is up on Linda's farm. But uh, the members just live out uh, wherever they are. Um, and uh, the way of life, our, that's what we call it, rather than a monastic rule, uh, to reflect the fact that actually this is about who we are as a person. We have a, a structure of a way of life, um, but then we each live that out as, as our own life expresses it and, and our own personalities express it. Uh, so we have 10 bullet points, but we would all express that differently. So really, that's, 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 that's uh, the Aiden and Hilda community. We're particularly inspired by Celtic monasticism. Uh, that is the, the monasticism which was here in Britain that surrounded the, the, the Romanized church um, in Ireland and Britain for a good few hundred years here. Um, so that, that, that's who we are, really. So it's, it's open for everybody. So we're a global community as well. It's not just a UK-based one. We have a number of uh, members over in, in America as well. Wonderful, wonderful. And we all know intentional community living um, creates a, a deep vulnerability and um, a, a, a sincere rawness that ultimately can deepen our compassion for one another. I wonder if you'd be willing to share any any kind of personal stories um, where it's really become a raw experience for you that's that's led you into deeper communion with your fellow humans. Yeah, well, one of the uh, the parts of our commitment for the Aiden and Hilda community is to have a, a, a what we call a soul friend taken from the uh, the Irish term Anamkara. Uh, so yes. Yes. The, the commitment is really to be uh, open and vulnerable with, with your Anamkara, with your soul friend. Um, mm. So they are more than a spiritual director. They're more than a life coach. They're more than a counsellor. They are uh, a, a very deep, connected companion on, on the journey mm -hmm. through the path of life. And so I, I think just... Just the act of committing to someone in such a completely vulnerable way uh, can be life-changing in itself. And, and lots of the times, I think that's a very gradual kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure I could, I could think of any kind of big flash moments, because we're not a, a residential community, those, those times of being together as a community in our gatherings uh, are fairly short-lived. So, you know, a week or weekend or something like that, uh, which doesn't bring a great deal of uh, vulnerable, uh, vulnerability with it. But with our soul friends, you know, that, that's a very slow, uh, gradual, but can be intense uh, transformation and, and goes completely against our ego to be so vulnerable and open with, with another human being. Right, right. And, and that community living that... Those, those meeting places of silence, meeting places of humanity just really strip us of our ego, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I heard a wonderful story out of the Jewish tradition, the rabbinical tradition, of a rabbi who once took his students out into, into a forested area where there was a cliff and there was a stream coming over the cliff. And it, I mean, it was more like a drip, drip, drip. And at the bottom of the cliff was a rock, and there had been a cleft in the rock that the water had carved away. And the rabbi pointed this out to the students, and he said, the rock is like our heart, and the drip is like the word of God. 
and that it takes time for the Word of God to form our hearts into the image and likeness of, of the divine. And, um, and that's a very moving story for me because of my connection with monastic spirituality. But I think we could also make, you know, bring, to bring it back to silence, that the way silence is a long-term proposition. You don't go do a weekend workshop on silence, you know, hey, five steps to living a, you know, a mystical silent life, you know, by Sunday morning, you're done and you get a certificate. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence. You know, David, I, I would love to hear some of your thoughts about place. This is something that we often talk about on the podcast and, and the relationship between silence and place. And, and I think we're all kind of, you know, would love to hear more about your experience there living on the edge of the new forest or also your experience of cultivating your spiritual life on the Holy Isle or, or, or any other places that have, have been especially meaningful for you, particularly in terms of, of your relationship with silence. One of my favorite uh, spaces would be uh, outside in nature, to be in the, the surrounding of, of, of the natural world, the creation, which uh, in my uh, understanding is is imbued and saturated with that divine presence. Uh, it's such a life giving thing, and, and there's there's you know loads of uh, physical neuroscience and and you know kind of medical uh, research which suggests that being outside is just physically good for you and can reduce an incredible amount of uh, you know stress and anxiety and, and and those sorts of things. But actually, a spiritual context of of, of just being outside. I think is uh, something that we we in our modern, very urbanised world. So we've we've been living here uh, at the edge of the New Forest for about 13 or 14 years now. We lived for six or seven years before that, right in the centre of North London. Uh, so it's a very, very different place. I mean, the, the New Forest is is 152 square miles of national park land, uh, and a uh, few villages and towns dotted within the midst of it. But most of it is woodland or heathland. Uh, and uh, we have cattle and horses and deer and, and uh, donkeys just wander the whole place wild. Uh, so you can just be walking a dog as, as I was this morning and, and um, there were a few horses around and uh, a few cows munching uh, the grass between the trees and things. Uh, and just so to be there in that space is, uh, is, is quite significant. So for me, anywhere in the natural world can be that, that sense of special space and, and place and and of course I've spent time out in in the forest doing intentional meditation times and I've had some uh, wonderful experiences out there and and just to feel a sense of that divine presence as we we walk uh, or just sit um, in that space but then of course we, we've been talking about Celtic uh, spirituality and there's the, the modern concept in that Celtic spirituality of the thin place which is 
mm-hmm. not just anywhere in the natural world, but particular places that have had a a great deal of, of heritage where the Spirit of God is drawn down in deep contemplative prayer. And, and the, the Holy Island of Lindisfarne is, of course, one of those, those spaces. So uh, I'm a part of that annual program of retreats that you mentioned in the introduction as well. So I lead some of the retreats up on the island. So I go up and I spend a few weeks. I'm actually up there next week uh, leading a retreat uh, based on the Celtic Advent book. But that is a, a place where, well, since the early uh, 7th century, the early 600s, that's been a place where the, the Spirit of God has been drawn down in intentional prayer, in, in uh, creating that deliberate Shekinah uh, and Chabad, uh, you know, presence of God, that, that heavy glory of God that's just resting there. And it's fascinating when, when you're there and you're, you're speaking to the, uh, the tourists particularly, it becomes very, very busy uh, on, on Lindisfarne, uh, particularly during the summer, they can have eight to 10,000 people a day uh, coming onto the island to visit. It gets hugely busy. And it's fascinating speaking to some of these travelers and visitors who have no spiritual context, but will tell you that they can feel something different in this place. They will just say, there's mm. something here, there's something in this place that feels different. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, for, for myself, that's, that's the divine presence. And it's difficult to explain to someone if they don't believe in the concept of a divine in the first place. Um, but uh, there, there is something there that even those who don't believe can feel. Uh, and then, of course, the wonderful bit, thing about Lindisfarne is that it's a tidal island. Uh, so the, the tourists will come on when, at low tide. So at low tide, it's physically connected to the mainland. Uh, but then at, low, at high tide, uh, the, uh, the waters come in and cut it off and it becomes an island again. So when the, uh, the evening tide comes in and all the day visitors leave, an incredible hush just drops across the island. You, you don't even have to be able to see the visitors leave. You can be sitting anywhere on the island and you'll know the tides come in because the atmosphere just becomes still. Uh, mm. And it's just a, a wonderful sense of presence in those moments where it just becomes still again. So the, 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 the place is, is a significant thing. But also, you know, there is the, 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 the sense that you can create that thin place within yourselves. You know, you can, can cultivate that inner environment where that can become a, a thin place, that sense of space. I love the comment, too, here about how you said tidal. It reminds me of what Cassidy was asking you before, because it sounds, it's yeah, rhythmic. The rhythm and the balance. It's rhythmic. So at one point, it's connected to all things, and then at a point, it's, it's, it's an island un, unto itself. It's very, it's yeah. that lovely symbolism of how we all have that yeah. going in and out. It's yeah. wonderful. And also, it's a noticing without defining, right? Um, silence is, you know, like why we call this podcast Encountering Silence. It's a, it's a letting go of um, naming, and I love the way you describe those things. David, I have a question for you about holding that tension of output and writing and creating and speaking while still maintaining this contemplative lifestyle um, and how you've managed that and how, how you've experienced that, I guess. And because sometimes, as we know, there's busy seasons and there's more calm seasons, but I wonder how you've maintained that in your life. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because being self-employed technically, um, you know, the, the, you get paid when you work. So to try, 
to try and balance that sense of, of you know, getting a good income, but also, you know, your work is traveling around telling people, you know, or teaching people about this sense of balance and, and contemplation mm -hmm. and relaxing and stuff. So you, you kind right. of have to, you have to live it out to properly <laughs> to be able to yeah, share that. Yeah. You know, there's that, that Dominican tenet of, uh, you know, passing on to others what you've gained in contemplation. So you really have to practice that first. Uh, to get that. So uh, part of that, I think, is helped by the fact that I have this 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 rule, this way of life that to this this new monastic community gives me. And um, so I, I've committed to that, that monastic rule. And um, so uh, I begin every single day with 30 to 45 minutes of intentional sitting uh, silence. Mm -hmm. And often there's uh, I have a little bit of uh, kind of uh, calm contemplative music in the background but it's intentional just sitting and, and I get up earlier than I need to you know I get up earlier than I need to make the children breakfast and things getting ready for school and, and stuff and I sit down and I'm on my own uh, when I do that or the, the dog or the cat may join me but um, really it's, it's just intentionally sitting and being to begin the day and I think I, I would stress that actually that's the best time to do it to to start your day off with intentionally sitting and just being in God's presence, I think that can bring such a significant difference to how the rest of the day pans out, because it sets you right in the first place. And so there is there is that, uh, but also just trying to self-discipline, I suppose, is is really the key to it, and and passing the the, the open vulnerability to the soul friend as well, the Anamkara, passing your your diary by that person as well. To say, look, I'm, I'm being accountable to you to show you I'm I'm putting moments or days in where I am not doing anything, and so that's really important too. But but living in a, a sense of awareness of just being able to have those small moments, the the unintentional uh, or the unplanned moments of stillness and silence, uh, to to have cultivated in the deliberate times of sitting an inner environment where you can just realize that here's a moment. That, that life offers us moments all the time, whether that be, you know, 60 seconds sitting at a red traffic light or three or four minutes standing in a queue. You know, life offers you quite regularly these small moments. And if you have the mind to, if you've created that inner, inner environment where your, your, your inner self is already oriented in that direction, you can go, hey, look, here is life. Give me a couple of minutes and I can just be still, just take a few breaths. Uh, and so there's there's intentional and unintentional moments of, of silence and stillness and it's yeah it's a good self-discipline and I don't always get it right sometimes I'll uh, you know find myself in the midst of some rushing around thinking hang on a minute uh, I haven't done this for a while I need to I need to stop I need to you know and, and maybe even doing it every morning you know sometimes I do 30 minutes in the first 28 and a half minutes are my brain settling down because there's so much going on in it you know yeah. there's a, there's a wonderful quote i think it's richard Rohr, isn't it that says that uh, you know his his uh, daily times of silence are a reminder of uh, how how often he would fail at, uh, at doing it yeah. but you, you just keep going you just keep doing it yeah. yeah but that that invites us into humility which is a beautiful yeah. place to be too so so <clears throat> We've talked about place and we've talked about the influence of rhythm and Celtic spirituality uh, that's informed you. Do you have a, a silence hero? And what, we usually ask people that question and, and it, you can interpret that 
as broadly as you would like. It could be a living person. It could be a famous person. It could just be a friend, you know, but somebody for who represents for you either a model or uh, some deep encounter with silence that you kind of, it's kind of a touch point that you come back to in some way. And it could be even a poem or a pet, you know, it's however you want to interpret that. But do you have a silence hero? I think there's there's been a couple of people who have been the most influential on my own development internally. So one of those uh, would be uh, Meister Eckhart. Um, so he's so that, that the whole concept of the apophatic and the unknowing of God. So I was I was born into a family that went into uh, that went to a pretty fundamental ex-brethren church. So there was a great deal of we know who God is. Uh, being taught, um, and I struggled with that a lot. Obviously, uh, I've mentioned in my teens, I was I was much more into the pagan spirituality, so I'd left that that kind of behind. But coming back into that Christian walk, that Christ-centered uh, spirituality, there was still a great deal of the "we know who God is" that I was encountering in in churches, and that never really sat right with me. And then uh, during my my master's degree, just a few years ago, I came across. Meister Eckhart much more deeply. I'd kind of heard his name here and there and a few quotes in books that I'd read. But yeah, that the whole thing of the apophatic, the unknowing of God uh, really spoke deeply to me. So uh, I read much more about him and, and his own works, the, you know, the primary source of his, his own works and things of the detachment and the unknowing and, and the stillness and the contemplation. Um, so I think he's probably one of the biggest influences uh, on me on that. And and probably like so many other people, uh, there, there was, of course, is, is Thomas Merton as well. The first books I'd ever read, New Seeds of Contemplation. And when I first read it, I didn't really get a lot of it. But it's one of those books where I come back to, um, to, to, to revisit. And, and the more I come back to it, the more I get out of it. Uh, because I've changed and I've grown, so uh, so yeah, I think those those two um, are probably the the biggest um, influence of kind of the contemplative and the silence for me. David, are there any poets that particularly sing to you? Yeah, I think that one of the poets that probably spans uh, the two different streams, the Celtic and the the mystical stream, the contemplative stream, is uh, uh, John O'Donohue. So again, the, his book, Anamkara, is another one that I read years ago and I keep coming back to. Um, but his, his poems are just, just uh, incredible. And just, just he himself, you know, his, his whole writing style is, 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 you know, poetry all the way through his, his teaching books, you know, his, his whatever they are, whether they're actual prayers or poems or whether it's just Anamkara or uh, Eternal Echoes, you know, the one about belonging, his whole demeanor and style, and obviously this comes from his Irish background, uh, is just just poetry, you know, and, and so he's, yeah, again, another one who's who's uh, fairly influential. But yeah, he gives some good blessings, some good, uh, some good poems. His book Benedictus is very good, a couple of good pieces in there about solitude and silence and presence. So speaking of poetry, David, do you have a, a poem or an excerpt from one of your books you'd like to share with us? Um, yeah, well, you you said this uh, on, on the uh, the pre uh, the lead up to, to to being interviewed. So I, I just I dragged out uh, an old poem that I, I that was published in a, a Christian anthology of mine. Uh, sorry, poem of mine that was published in a Christian anthology. 
uh, some years ago, back in the late 90s. And what's the, what's the title of that anthology? So, uh, the title of the anthology is uh, Words of Praise. Um, it's by Triumph House Publishing. So the, the, the poem uh, has a, a vaguely dark night of the soul uh, kind of uh, feel about it, although obviously I didn't know that at the time. This was before I'd come across John of the Cross or anybody else. So it's called Standing in the Rain Waiting for the Sun, but the rain is spelt as in a monarch's rain and the sun is S-O-N. It's talking about <laughs> so standing in the rain waiting for the sun. It, vaguely based on Revelation 20. Dusk has come upon us, the sun it starts to set, but the dawn's a long way off and we've night to get through yet. The sky is getting darker and the waves they break the shore. The moon is in its crescent, someone raps upon my door. I'll stand out here forever, now the rapping has begun. I'm standing in the rain and I'm waiting for the sun. My hand is full of tiny stones I find upon the beach. Each one is representing love, a man's worth held in each. The stones they stretch from left to right as far as you can see, but even that is not enough to show his love for me. The sky has darkened over, the storm it has begun. I'm standing in the rain, I'm waiting for the sun. No one now can stop me from standing where I am. The rapping's getting louder like the water hits a dam. I'll ride the storm right to the end, Till dawn has truly come, I'm standing in the rain, and I'm waiting for the sun. There you go. Very, very, very nice. That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank you. David, one thing I always like to ask is, for those listeners that may be new to David Cole and David Cole's writing, where would you suggest they begin? Um, I think that I'm writing on the two different subjects that we've been talking about. So I've got the, we mentioned the, the 40 days with the Celtic saints. I think that although it's written to, to match the pattern and the rhythm of those three periods of 40 days. So it's, it's the one that kind of falls in the, the 40 days following Pentecost, which was always about being inspired by the lives of others. That's why it's, uh, I picked 40 different Celtic saints. It was a struggle to keep it down to 40, but obviously 40 days uh, had to keep it down to 40 different Celtic saints. Um, it was just a little introduction to Celtic Christianity, a little introduction to the saints with a little contemplation and prayer and a Bible verse. And then the, the, the book, uh, The Mystic Path of Meditation, um, which kind of unfolds a little bit more of, of where I'm coming from with mysticism and contemplation and, and the Christian practice of, of meditation or the practice of Christian meditation, however you want to put it. Yeah, so those those are the two I think would be the place to start. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, I know this might be difficult for you, but do you have a favorite Celtic saint? I, I do actually. Yeah, so my, my favorite Celtic saint is actually uh, Cuthbert, uh, who for a number of reasons, firstly, he is one that's recorded to have always wanted to just be a solitary hermit. That's all he wanted to do for the whole of his life. Once he, mm -hmm. he went into the monastery, he wanted to become a, a contemplative, solitary hermit. Uh, but God kept giving him other things to do, like, you know, becoming Bishop of Lindisfarne and, and little things <laughs> like that. Um, and, but he would still, you know, he'd keep that rhythm and, and uh, he'd, he'd go off into the hills of Northumbria for uh, maybe up to three or four weeks at a time uh, just to go and be with God. And, and he's one of those that... Uh, 
uh, it's recorded in his, his life story that he stood in the sea, in the North Sea, uh, up to his neck uh, to keep him awake at night to do uh, silent contemplative prayer. Um, but one of the other reasons I love Cuthbert is uh, because he had no, uh, had no Celtic blood in him, uh, as it were. So he wasn't an Irishman. He wasn't uh, a, um, a native Briton, an old Briton like uh, David or, or, or K-Dog or something like that. Uh, someone like that. He was he was an Angle, so he was a pure blood Angle. He was an Englishman, but he was brought up in uh, in Northumbria at the time of Aidan's uh, ministry around that that place. So Celtic, the Celtic expression of Christianity, uh, was the heart of who he was. So one of the reasons I love Cuthbert is because it shows that Celtic Christianity actually has nothing to do with bloodline. And is just about your heart and expression with your Christian walk and, and your 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 walk with God. So yeah, to Cuthbert is is uh, is one of my favourites. Well, David, thank you so much for spending time with us and oh, it's been a pleasure. You know, sharing your story and the the story of your community. We um, we appreciate it. It's uh, very helpful for me to hear the stories of others who are just, you know, and, and, you, and you, you're very candid about acknowledging that sometimes it's a struggle. It's certainly a struggle for me too, I think for all of us, but to, you know, to open our hearts to that silent divine presence, but there's grace in the struggle. And so, so thank you for sharing your grace with us. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You yeah. Thank you for the chance thank to be you. with you. Part of this. Thank you, David. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Encountering Silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Thank you.